0: A sister of Faustina Maria Pia, a sister of life and uh, you're giving our employee retreat this year a Lenten retreat and, and your topic is the litany of trust. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how, how you received this, this litany.
1: Sure. So my story uh, actually starts with my mother's story. She grew up Catholic but not practicing her faith, not going to church maybe on Easter Christmas like a lot of Catholics but really not encountering god and she suffered a tremendous uh, pain in her life with her father leaving her family when she was just five years old and so really not believing in, in the lord and his love for many reasons um, but then encountering through a little pamphlet um, which was you know very soon on in the devotion of uh, saint faustina wasn't a saint yet encountering this polish sister and the revelation that Jesus came to her and she just opened up the pamphlet one day as a teenager and she read the words of Jesus that like, let no one fear to come to me. Um, though your sins be as scarlet, like, be washed them away. And and just this overwhelming conviction of, of truth that washed over her heart was a father's love that she had never known. And she knew that God cared about her. Even though she had suffered tremendously, she knew that there was a refuge in the heart of Jesus and she desired friendship with him
0: for At the first time point, in her life. She was going to Sunday Mass? No,
1: that? she was not. And she um, <clears throat> was culturally Catholic, mm-hmm. you know, like just a couple of times a year, but no, mm-hmm. absolutely no personal relationship with the Lord, no real knowledge of Him as somebody that she could speak to or go to or lean on. So that moment really convicted her. And it was through St. Faustina's intercession, of course. And so that name for her became very special. So it was something that she looked at, you know, going into the future after she had been married lingered. You know, maybe I would name one of my children Faustina. So I was named Faustina back in the 80s before St. Faustina was a saint. And I remember growing up thinking, you know, why do I have such a strange name? No one knows what this name is. Um, And yet, uh, I eventually grew in this love for St. Faustina. But I think each of us, you know, encounters different sufferings in our lives. And uh, my story is the same, you know, encountering something difficult when I was younger, and when we try to, you know, um, wrestle through something that is difficult, God's love doesn't make sense for me. We kind of come against this thing of, you know, where where is God? Um, how do I, um, you know, know that He's real if, if difficulties you feel alone in and, and things like that? So for me, I thought St. Faustina was a little, you know, a little bit distant, just like my mom thought Jesus was a little distant, you know, and even reading her writings, she's mystical, you know, going to heaven and hell and... and you know, he was appearing to her. But I found courage through St. Faustina um, to talk to Jesus because I saw that she had a lot of weaknesses in reading her diary, that she actually refused Jesus. Sometimes he'd say, do this, and she would get afraid. And and I started to see that Jesus was extremely patient with her. He was very tender with her. He was pursuing her every corner. And I thought, oh my gosh, maybe I can talk to Jesus more openly. And that started a beautiful trajectory, um, which landing me in the convent, I really started to listen to Jesus and saw that he had something good for me. And yet there's still a lot to be worked out in my heart. And a few years into the convent,
0: let me ask oh, you, let's go back a little bit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading your register interview and uh, and you were, I forgot what you were studying, but you you yeah. kind of had a moment where it was a turning point in your life. Yes, yeah.
1: I was studying psychology, but also nursing. And I really loved nursing in the sense of um, there's something very tangible in helping people in those moments when they need mm-hmm. those physical supports and medicine. Yet um, it it was leaving me still wanting like this this wasn't enough for my life as much as I loved it. And I was talking to a priest and he looked at me. and He's like, "What do you what do you love?" And I was like, "I love helping people." And he said, "Well, we're all sick and dying." And it really stopped me in my tracks because I realized in that moment that as much as I love nursing and, and giving people the, the help they need in those frail physical moments, the healing that I really wanted to be a part of and I felt called to was a deeper healing mm-hmm. that people felt dead inside. They were crippled inside. They were dying inside. And experiencing God's love and His mercy and that, that personal aspect of His love is what revives somebody. This is the life, you know. This is, We begin to live um, in a whole new way when we know Jesus. So. That moment convicted me in many ways. Um,
0: I also had still in school at that point. I
1: I, I also had a moment um, where I guess it was right before that conversation actually that I was very frustrated because I had been praying for a lot of things in my life and God is faithful in many ways, but He won't He won't let us rest somewhere unless we're in the right place, and I was unsatisfied and. In my life, and I had a moment when I came back from the hospital one night um, from a clinical rotation, and flopped into my bed. I was exhausted, and really prayed an honest prayer to God, and say, "God, I'm—I don't know, but I'm—I'm I'm really miserable. You know, I'm—I feel like I, like I'm, I'm just barely, um, barely giving myself. I, I, I feel like I'm living on the surface of my life."
0: But There's you so were exhausted more. and working hard. Yes. But you still felt like you weren't giving yourself
1: Yes. And I had I had a good you know, good friends and, and different things were going well, but there was this deep dissatisfaction in my heart that I felt and mm-hmm. I didn't have the courage to to tell Jesus about it until that one night when I came back. I thought in my bed and praying this prayer like I, I Jesus, just in case you forgot, these are all the things that I that I want in my life. I want You know, This is the kind of person I want to marry, and this is the kind of life I wanted to leave. And they weren't bad things. They were good things. But it seemed all out of my reach, and I had been working so hard, and yet it wasn't happening. And I felt Jesus invite me. Again, it wasn't in words, but this experience of, yeah, well, give me those desires. Don't just hold tightly onto them. Like, give me. So one by one, I kind of listed each of these desires and gave it to him. And I felt like something was being emptied from my internal, you know, like just emptying it out. And in the minutes that followed that, I felt this stillness and this silence in my soul that I will never forget. I felt this empty stillness. And it was almost as if I was saying, okay, like what now, you know, what now? And Jesus spoke to me very clearly in that moment, something that I I can see kind of salt and pepper through my life, but it was like a real like bang moment (laughs) where he said, I want you for myself. I want you for myself. Like like that was the answer to my heart's desire. And I knew what he meant in that moment. I knew that he wanted me to give the whole of my life, the whole of my love. And as you know uh, big of an invitation that it was, I was kind of scared, but I felt very loved in his invitation. I felt very free. I felt like he was waiting for a response. And I felt like it was nothing that I was achieving that he was looking at he was simply looking at me. I wasn't achieving anything for him, actually, you know. Um, but I said yes without knowing what that would look like or feel like because the the gaze almost of his heart was so strong on my uh, on me at that moment mm. that I knew I wouldn't be happy anywhere else. I knew that something of my purpose was lying in this, something of my identity. And as soon as I said yes, I, I felt like a crazy moment. <laughs> but I also felt like a burden that was lifted.
0: Right. Yeah. And one of the interviews with you, it was something that was, I can't remember the phrasing, but it was like, it wasn't just like circumstances he wanted. Well, yes. Oh, it wasn't, yeah, it was like, it was a call not just to trust in the circumstances mm-hmm. going mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. but to trust. Maybe that was more about the litany itself. Yeah, but, I can
1: say that, yeah. yeah. That was already a few years into the convent and um, I had to make a decision and there was a lot going on that was very unclear and difficult for me and God had been very clear in different places, you know, discerning, entering, and, and other big decisions. And this decision it was not clear and felt very, yeah, confused. So I was asking Jesus, help me, help me. You know, I was actually praying for clarity. And every time I prayed for clarity, Jesus kept saying, trust me. And I was like, well, that doesn't seem like an answer to the clarity. <laughs> um, but he was answering it on a much deeper level. And one night <clears throat> I was praying in front of a crucifix in, in our little room that we have at, our, at the convent, just a crucifix on the wall. And I had this little dialogue with the Lord that basically equated to, you know, Jesus, if you just explain what you're doing and what your kind of intentions are in a, in a way, then I can jump on board, you know. Mm-hmm. But right now I don't, I, don't get, I don't get what's going on <clears throat> and what good can come out of this or that. And it was as if He really stopped me in my tracks and tenderly but firmly said you know i don't want you to give your yes to a bunch of circumstances you know that makes sense that you understand i want you to give your yes to me Mm. and it was an awakening in that moment of what it means to love and what it means to love god it was like a recognition of the call of the human heart this is what i'm made for Mm. i'm actually made to say to be like a living yes to god and whether it makes sense or not um, is quite secondary when and because God will be faithful and at least showing us the next step, and the next step, and that's what He's asking is more than anything to follow Him.
0: Yeah, that this resonates so true to me that we pray if, if this circumstance changed or if this happened, this happened, you know, then I can have peace right. and I can trust God. Mm-hmm. But it's like, yeah, you know, we're trusting in the things, not yeah. God. You know? <laughs> and uh, when mm-hmm. he said it so powerful. So. Mm-hmm. Um to rewind a second you uh you're on the bed and you're exhausted mm-hmm. and uh and then how did you and so you felt this call to yes. to belong to him, and then you just started looking at religious orders mm-hmm. or
1: yeah I had gone to Franciscan University and I had met the Sisters of Life mm-hmm. the community that I entered while I was there, just briefly and so because I was familiar with them, i heard about them and from Connecticut and they were in New York. Um, I had done a lot of pro-life type things and at school. Um, there was something of me that felt comfortable visiting them. And the experience of visiting them was like a coming home. Mm-hmm. You know, it didn't feel like I was at my cousin's house or my friend's house. I walked in and I was like, oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a twin sister and um, we're very close. And... Yet there were things that I was talking about or hearing with the sisters there that I felt like clicked
0: mm-hmm. and
1: I was just meeting them for the first time. And mm-hmm. it's kind of like this moment of being known that really transpired and the deep passion that was in my own heart to be a mother to souls and to help souls find this life that really awakens um, them to eternity, that awakens them to the union of, to God that we're all created for, and to serve in very tangible ways with helping women in need who are pregnant in crisis, but but really finding that deeper life even for them as well mm-hmm. in the encounter with Christ.
0: And what do you, you tell people generally? I mean, you, you mentioned like a healing from like something in your past, in your youth. What do you, you tell people about finding that healing in Christ? What's a, how do you go about that? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I, I find Jesus very simple, and maybe that's a word that people don't find as a compliment, you know, <laughs> because it implies that it not, you're not a, a great intelligence, but I think it takes an incredible strength to be simple. Um, we make things complicated, but Jesus is very simple, and He really says, and I believe this um, with all my heart, that where I'm leading you, a child can follow. Where I'm leading you, a child can follow. That doesn't mean it's easy, it takes courage, but the path to healing should be somewhat simple, but it, it entails um, staying close with Jesus. I think for me, um, part of the gift that St. Faustina was, as my patron is, that she kind of ushered me into that without me even realizing what was happening. This simplicity of prayer where we walk into the chapel, it's a beautiful, a chance to go to adoration, And we start to talk to Jesus like he's real, even if we don't believe it. We just start to talk to him like he's real. Mm -hmm. We all know what it's like to go to a coffee shop with a friend, and we know the friends that we really talk to and really open up to and those that it's more superficial, right? And something um, frees us once we try more and more to to be honest in that way. But I really found that Jesus, um, as we listen to him in the Gospels, as we open up Scripture on our own, You see, he is the friend that um, initiates. He's the one that wants our friendship. And so, yeah, I experienced going to adoration, not knowing what to say, not knowing, you know, what was going on in my heart, not having a a way of making sense of the things that I was struggling with, the things I was upset about, the things I wish were never part of my life. And I felt like he untangled a lot of that in those simple dialogues. He was starting to pick out things. And the fidelity of Jesus was so so very fatherly because He wouldn't let me have a pity party. (laughs) And yet He always called me higher and I didn't take it as something condescending, but always that He saw something good in me that I didn't see, that He had something more for me. And this, He was cheering me on, but also carrying me, you know, this um, pushing me out of my comfort zone. And so I found that making little steps of this dialogue he would always put on my heart this courage to listen. Once I would share, like, "What do you have to say?" This hunger to hear, and Jesus was with faithful, giving me one step at a time to be connected with this group or to get involved with this, or or to really ask for the grace um, to let go of that and to to face people I needed to forgive and to start accepting um, the truths that I that I you know hadn't been and, and rejecting lies that I was believing. You know, so he was putting things little by little on people in my life. So it is a very individual journey, it's very real, but I really, really believe, and I, I really looking back the last 10, 15 years, I'm like, I, I cannot believe they kind of quietly but steadily worked wonders in my heart mm-hmm. through simple ways. But it took a lot of moments where I wrestled because I didn't want to surrender something. I didn't want to be um, as honest as I, as I had been living in the past, you know, hiding things, and, and so I think there is um, a great challenge to it, but a great simplicity.
0: Hmm. and how how did the litany of trust come about
1: yeah so in this situation that i had begun talking about in the convent where i was faced with this difficulty praying there in front of the crucifix and having that conversation to give my yes to him that moment kind of stopped in, in time in a way like kind of i had a moment where i just it was everything was dawning on me what it meant to trust this question of what does it mean to trust means to give my yes to Jesus, to stay open to him no matter if I understood things or not, to give him the freedom to work. And it felt like I went from like a really cramped space into this really open space all of a sudden. And it was as though I was like, oh my goodness, this this is what I'm supposed to do with my life. I'm supposed to live like this. And I wanted that grace for other people too. And the same, it was almost like the same grace. It was like, I want, I want to live this way, Jesus. And then I thought, oh my I want so many people to live this way because you deserve to be loved. You deserve to be loved this way. You deserve the freedom to act in our lives and to fill our hearts and to make us vessels of that to others. And I heard in that grace, in that space, so to speak, I heard this voice like litany of trust. I hadn't been thinking about writing a prayer at all. And I'm not actually the big litany or novena person. So I I wasn't super familiar with a lot of litanies. But I was familiar with the litany of humility, so you when were I like heard a
0: charismatic freelance, <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Um, Still <laughs> Bill. <That's stupid. laughs>
1: so I recognized, okay, litany of trust. Like that sounds like litany of humility. So I took out my journal. I just wrote litany of trust, and the first thing that came to me was the structure of the litany of humility, where you cast things out, ask Jesus to deliver us, and then to affirm something, to kind of claim something, to, to fill those spaces. That we are then clearing, and so it really was a matter of minutes where I just wrote down things on a list and didn't really tweak much afterwards. A couple I maybe tweaked, but it was really quite seamless in that sense. And I saved it for about a year, didn't show anybody, just praying it because God gave it to me because I needed that trust, you know, and I, I was very aware of that. You would pray it every day? I would pray it, yes. And I I didn't share it. And then about a year or so later, it was Divine Mercy Sunday. And I was giving a talk to a bunch of young adults. And I ended my talk with it and said, you know, just the first part of the prayer is deliver me. You can respond. And the second part, Jesus, I trust in you. So I led them through this prayer. I get down after my talk. And some of my sisters came up to me like, where did you get that prayer? And I I thought I did something heretical. So I got a little worried. I was like, oh, no, I made it up. And I guess I should have checked. And they said, no, it's beautiful. Like, it was so striking. And then all of a sudden, this line was forming of people who wanted a copy. Wow. And I didn't have a copy. And so it all started that way.
0: Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I was just reading some of the uh, petitions. Um, and let, let me ask you the one thing, too, first, before we talk about some of them. But, you know, the thing that comes up for me is, like, well, what is? what am I supposed to? I, I trust mm-hmm. And it never means passivity. Right. But don't I need to take the bull by the horn yeah. and make it happen? I mean, you you live in New York, yeah, right? Yeah. Isn't that built the city? Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's it's a good question because it would be easier if, if it was one extreme or the other. Right. You can kind of just buckle down. There's a delicacy of listening. of uh, What it means to follow is um, what Jesus, we see in the Gospels, is telling the apostles to follow, and yet, They gotta be engaged. They're really making big sacrifices and to actually um, engage it with their heart. The same is true for us. There is a humility that's required to trust because we have to be um, following somebody. So we know God is asking us, and this is what typically happens, is that God puts a desire in our heart. He asks something of us, you know? He inspires some good, even in a small way or a big way. And then, we start off, and we typically start off in very self-reliant ways, you know, or trying to make something happen on our own. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's a lot of times, it's a very good thing, but we're really leaning on ourselves. And then God, in His mercy, tries to show us another way, you know, or He tries to um, invite us to um, a greater reliance on Him by, um, you know, so there's so many different examples, but, uh, you know...
0: Just in St. Faustina's life. Yeah, 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 so many
1: examples of, You know, trying to enter the convent, for example, or, you know, the things that God asks are typically beyond what we can do. Even the growth in virtue, we can't achieve that on our own. And then coming to a point where we really surrender and say, God, do this in and through me. And it Mm -hmm. takes trust to to claim it, to say, this isn't a bad thing or beyond me. I I believe that you give inspired inspired desires are beyond me, but I have to acknowledge that and ask for your guidance. And then the courage to listen comes where it could be a different way. And what I initially thought of getting that virtue, wow. you know, or, or losing that habit or, or kind of doing something Mother Angelica. I mean, so many of her stories of her life were following this directive of God, mm-hmm. taking the first steps and realizing, oh, my gosh, I, I can't do this. This is ridiculous. Not walking away at that moment, but staking her ground mm-hmm. in, in God's word and then waiting to receive to a degree the next direction from that point. Which might be different than if she had set up a plan on her own, you know. Right. So I think there's a healthy degree of confidence that comes only with the humble heart and um, really acknowledging that it will be His strength and His guidance that gets us there.
0: Yeah, I know. Mother said that. Uh, you know, should we get this asked asked question about how do you discern it is God's will? And she said, "We'll try it. If it works, it's God's yeah. will." <laughs> or she yeah. she also is. I remember take the risk.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. take
0: the risk and. And that, too, sometimes you might go down a path that it doesn't work out, Mm -hmm. but maybe something happened in there that would prepare for another path.
1: absolutely, absolutely.
0: But, yeah, and even in the secular world, you hear that about, like, inventors or, Mm -hmm. you know, great, successful businesses that they tried it. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. and that was like the secret, just to keep trying and trying. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's like something accidental that happens, mm-hmm. that they discover a new way to do it or something. You know? mm-hmm. and, uh, but yeah, on the litany, you say from the belief that I have to earn your love, you know, deliver me, Jesus. And that's very much kind mm-hmm. of a modern way of thinking Like we earn, <laughs> I get good yeah. enough. and Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, it's a huge one and I had no intention of it being first, it just kind of came first. But I think it is foundational the correct understanding of love. When we're talking about trusting, we or trusting is it's a relational word, you know. And if we are living in a relationship where I constantly have to earn your love, then it's gonna be hard to trust you because I'm broken, you know, and right. I'm not gonna I'm gonna feel like I'm on your t- tippy toes and eggshells and I can't yeah. really, yeah, have that freedom to live a deep love. So it's very essential.
0: Yeah, I hear that, especially with young girls, like teenagers, uh, the social media, the comparisons, Mm -hmm. endless comparisons. Yes. And they feel unlovable at the Mm -hmm. end of the day Mm -hmm. because they can't live up to Mm -hmm. whatever these standards Mm -hmm. are.
1: Yes. And of course, I mean, this comes into play in a powerful way too when when we are striving for healing because God can be speaking the truth to us. He can be... Um, really lean us in a beautiful way but if we have certain lies that we are clinging to maybe unconsciously that i am unlovable then we won't recognize that we won't receive that right. but um but to be able to say you no know, deliver me from that if i believe that jesus i, I don't want yeah. to stake my life on a lie
0: yeah right i think i think women i i try to preach on this sometimes i you know i think women and women religious especially in you know, church teaching that Image the church as bride, mm-hmm. Jesus is the bridegroom, and that that witness to being loved, you know, like responding to the gift of love from the bridegroom. That um I think, you know, I think that's such a powerful witness in our world today. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, we we get we have all this clamoring for priesthood or want to do more, want more control, power, mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff, and And but man, what a proclamation that, hey, we're lovable by God. (laughs)
1: It's (laughs) it's it's as basic as it gets, but it really um, is needed. And Mother Teresa would even tell her own sisters, like, I'm I'm worried that you haven't all encountered God's love that you don't know, God's love, you know. Like this deep sense because that is the foundation for sanctity, you know, and spiritual health. And it isn't about me. You know, we're all creatures. We're all miserable on our own, right? Yeah. But this sense of if God has spoken His love, if He thinks I'm worthy of His love, then who am I to, have to say no to that? You know, and and it right. is a beautiful reality that then opens up to receiving many more gifts and graces from God.
0: Yeah, uh, from the false security that I have, what it takes, you know, <laughs> I can remember Mother Jackie used to love to say on the show, you know, quoting from John's Gospel, I think the Vine, and the Branch says, you know, without me, you can do nothing. Mm-hmm. You say nothing. You know, <laughs> <little bit>, nothing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. And it requires, I mean, it is tough because there's a balance of a participation there. But the participation is, um, yeah, being open to diving in where God leads, but on our own, of course. Yeah. It's a great verse to, to match with that.
0: Or from the fear that trusting you will leave me more destitute.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's real. <laughs> um, and I think it is because what God speaks to us, um, we realize, or we want to turn our head one way or another, be like, is he talking to me? You know, Because he has made us to live such an immense love, and he's, he's stretching our hearts, stretching our hearts to receive that love. And the only way to do that is to kind of get out of our comfort zone. And Mm. to learn how to kind of dance with somebody who is divine, right? Right. To share a life with somebody beyond our human capacities and limitations. So it is common in the spiritual journey to, yeah, feel like, whoa, like this is a new threshold of my inability sometimes or not knowing what to do. And at first, that's scary. We feel like we've maybe gone on the wrong track, but God can allow that. It doesn't mean that He's not there, but it means that He's powerfully there. And many times, so that we learn how to invite him to live more deeply. You right. know, this, uh, that you may increase and I may decrease. Yeah. So, but the knowledge of that does help kind of the surrender, our surrender to see, oh my goodness, this is a powerful yeah. time.
0: And I think, yeah, as religious too, it's like you get, you go further along you're like more of a misfit into the world (laughs) (laughs) and i think too like with women religious too it's like you know you get past the point of being able to have children Mm -hmm. you know you're committed Mm -hmm. and it's like Mm -hmm. you know these maybe these options or whatever have diminished and all this it's just a real surrender you know i feel like like religious priests you know we can maybe go become a dasan priest or something you know but it seems like there's a special vulnerability in women religious that you all model. I
1: yes, think. yeah, the, the fidelity of Jesus to mm-hmm. us in it is astounding.
0: Yeah. Uh, from all suspicion of your words and promises.
1: Yeah, I think for yeah a lot of a lot of the culture today there is this sense of oh yeah you know I'm a spiritual person but I'm not religious or I'm not a church person this sense of Jesus has strong words that he says. He has strong guidance, and uh, obviously he has a personal space that is very tender. And there's a, a great outpoint of his mercy, for us individually. But the minute that somebody is, you know, kind of has anything spoken in a more direct way, where Jesus really does call us to a higher standard of living and how we love our enemies, especially um, the way that we are supposed to be merciful to others, it is extremely hard. To hear those mm-hmm. things in a culture that that is listed as you know backlisted as my, my you're stepping out my freedom you know mm-hmm. uh, meanwhile true freedom comes through um, a rightly ordered love like this committed love that upholds not only the other but upholds my own heart the sacredness of love this is a sacred space and it needs to be protected right. so that it can flourish so I think we're all we all have a little wrestling to do with you know we, I, I want to live this way and Jesus. Is imposing something on me quote unquote you know and seeing that actually jesus what he says is for me it actually is for my flourishing and i'm a slave to sin Mm -hmm. it has like dehumanized me and jesus speaks to me like the good shepherd i know mine and mine know me like i recognize who i am and my dignity in his words and
0: promises yeah i heard a protestant minister say one time you know what believers and unbelievers have in common what's that th- they both don't trust jesus oh whoa, whoa 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 i mean they're yeah
1: i find that's true <laughs> yeah
0: From the rebellion against childlike dependency on you deliver mm-hmm. me jesus
1: that's mm-hmm. yeah it's a it's a big one It's <laughs> like a
0: war on the child yeah. childlike trust today,
1: yes yes know. and i think for me um when we know that god is a merciful father the necessary spirituality that follows is childlike trust. Yeah. You know, if we can see God as a merciful father, um, then then we want to be his child, then we yeah. want to trust him. But of course, many experiences of dependency haven't worked out well for people in their life. And you know, mm-hmm. we, we've all experienced moments where we've been let down. So those words can immediately put a crinkle, you know? And we're Like, oh no, like, I don't want to depend on another. You know, I, mm-hmm. I feel safe being independent and relying on myself um yet jesus is the one that we need to be dependent on and and that will kind of restore that trust to say jesus you know um i yeah i've been hurt in these ways um and he can he can fill what what our hearts have been lacking you know and what we've lost he, he has nothing has been lost on him so i think uh, of, of St. Paul, who I kind of wrote in, a, in my book about this chapter. He was, you don't think of him as a child, but that's what he learned to be because he was going about serving God in his own way. And there was a crazy zeal in his heart, a passionate soul. And yet he was rebelling against following and receiving this new you know, person that came to the scene that was going to change his way of doing things. It was hard for him to receive. And so, encountering Jesus, he became like a child, but he didn't lose any of the zeal. There's something still fierce about him, right. but he becomes one who depends, you know, who, who is radically available to be led. Right. And so, that is, is not this weak, kind of non thinking, kind of naive childlike dependency, but one that really uh, allows the power of God to come through. Uh, so, I think yeah. he's a great example of that.
0: And I started paying attention sometimes too, like all just all the fights and stuff he got into. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like you know, it it led him right into the lion's den. You mm-hmm. know, and he never backed down. And yeah. It's like, so yeah, he got more fierce yeah, probably. Yeah, you
1: know. yeah, you're right. He knew who he was.
0: Well, maybe maybe could you pick one out? I mean, mm-hmm. we talked about deliver me's mm-hmm. and the stuff now that we're gonna embrace. Mm-hmm. Is there one or two that? That you really like, or uh, oh
1: yeah, uh, I think uh. my favorite one from the whole litany is is definitely towards the end. It's that you are my Lord and my God, Jesus, I trust in you. I just love that one. I absolutely love it. I love it so much. I love that I can say that. I love that I can say that He is my Lord, that He is my God. And I think anybody that's received like the love of God and the grace of God, it's just it will never be the same to not you know to Mm -hmm. to just say God, but it's like my God. I just I always love that, so I could pray that over and over again. Yeah. I really could. It's like we um, have a
0: place we can worship, we can rest. Yeah, and kneel down.
1: And we're made for that worship. Yeah. We're like, and I feel like the longer yeah. I've known Him, the more I know that He deserves everything. That He owes me nothing, and He's given me so much. And so that experience um, is like nothing else. There's, there's nothing else that makes everything make sense. Um, whatever happens in my life. Uh, whatever comes down the future, what whatever I haven't still sorted through in my own heart, He's my Lord and my God. And that is such a, it's such a sturdy place. It's such a freeing place. And it's so worthy. It makes me not think about myself. We all want to be kind of stripped of our kind of selfish um, thoughts. And and I love it. I love it. And that I am your beloved one, right, the two of them together, I think is, is powerful. That, Praying that on a day where you really felt like, wow, I didn't live it faithfully as as I would have liked. But this sense of giving God our imperfect days, giving God our imperfect love, and Him receiving that because we're His. That doesn't get old to me either. It doesn't because the day that I die, I'm going to be struggling. And yet God, He isn't um, thrown off by our frailty. He is drawn to us. He is faithful to us. He treats us today in the same way that he, he looks at us in heaven. He sees the fullness of what we are being um, called to live, and He treats us with such a reverence that uh, that reminder just deepens, and it becomes more and more our own reality.
0: Yeah. And how do we get that as our reality? You know, I, I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and um, and I'll, I'll hear and a lot of my Protestant friends, you know, they they talk about like uh, like rejecting the faith of their upbringing because it's fire and brimstone and everything. And maybe for Catholics, it'd be more like the '50s or something that was a harsher message or something. But I like sure. that's all I ever heard growing up was love, 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 But it didn't it didn't like really. Yeah. It wasn't like a real experience for me. Yeah. Like I am the beloved, or you know, yeah. God really does love. I, I remember I heard this. Uh, it's actually, on, yeah, it's on focus on the family, and uh, there's this woman who was talking about dating and stuff, and she said she had this guy proposed to her, and 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 it was almost like he was coming at it from a very kind of, uh, well, this is God's will. You're a good woman, we could have a great family. We're believers, and but she said I wasn't sure he even liked me. Interesting, you know? <laughs> and I, I thought it could be the same relationship with yeah. with God. It's like I believe God his love, mm-hmm. I believe all this great stuff about him, he's merciful and everything, but does he like me, right. you know, and I, at some point I think that's kind of connected that yeah. he delights in mm-hmm. us, but, you know, how do you, what do you tell, like, people about, you know, how to get to that place, mm-hmm. that, to really believe it, maybe in a hard experiential mm-hmm.
1: way? That is really, it's so human, it's what we need, you know, and I think especially, um, because there's a lot of things that we don't like about ourselves. And we right, can translate right. and say, of course, right. then you don't like me because I don't like me, you know, at right, like this juncture, right. or because of that. Um, it is one of these things that um, we have to see how Jesus looks at us in the places that we don't like. And what kind of came across my heart in this, in this specific place, um, I remember kind of feeling... Like, yeah, I didn't like myself or or certain things that I didn't think others liked about me. And I was inspired to do um, what I call like a goodness examine, which like the examine is a prayer from St. Ignatius that you kind of review your day Mm -hmm. with Jesus just to kind of see his working grace in your life in the moments that you failed, in the the moments that he was really present and and kind of be grateful and move forward to the next day with that. But specifically, this would be, um, where did I doubt my goodness today? And where did you show me my goodness today? Mm. And it was surprising to me, <laughs> just mm. taking that five minutes at night to ask the Holy Spirit to be with me. So it's not just me kind of thinking on my own and to really um, quiet my heart and say, where did I doubt my goodness? And I saw moments where I was like, oh, I, you know, I, I hate this. I feel um, so less than when I'm talking to this person or when I feel in this way. Or when I didn't say what I was on my heart to say, or you know, to kind of go back and see the areas that we kind of experience in many ways, but we never address, we never see what God is thinking about us in those moments, or what He's thinking. So, it was a real experience for me of Jesus saying, you know, that doesn't bother me, or Oh my goodness, ask me for your strength, my strength in those places. So I started to recognize when I would experience that, and also the thoughts that I was having that would accompany that, that would, like, make this lie deeper, that, oh my gosh, I'm not smart, or I don't know how to deal with this, or I will always be this way, or whatever it was, those thoughts that were always connected, but I, I'd, no, I wasn't doing anything about. So it really broke open um, this place of undeserved love, that God was actually, He wasn't thinking those things, and giving me courage by receiving love in those moments of that exam. And to kind of reject the line the next day when it was happening and be like, "No, I'm gonna step in. I do have something to give here," you know, or yeah. there is, um, yeah, something you know very real about encountering someone's love when you don't feel like you deserve it, mm. you yeah, know, over and over again. That all of a sudden one day you believe it and it's real and it is, mm. yeah, the way God is.
0: Yeah, That's beautiful. So yeah, you look at those moments and think, how did? Just the way I saw it, I doubted God. But when you think about how God... Yeah, I think a
1: big thing is awareness because a lot of people aren't even aware of the fact that they doubt their goodness. And they go to bed every night kind of banging themselves up all day and they Mm -hmm. didn't even realize it. You know, they might blame this person in their life or that person. But they're reinforcing like a lot of lies Mm -hmm. just because of the way that they're viewing themselves and Mm -hmm. that they've seen through other people's eyes, themselves, in a negative way.
0: And what's the... The response to this litany of trust that you've seen. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Sure.
0: You travel around on a limousine yeah. now in big crowds I, I don't. <laughs> I don't travel too much.
1: No, I don't. But um, I've, I've gotten a lot of letters. I've gotten a lot of um, comments for people, um, yeah, of all ages, actually. Men, women, a lot of, you know, priests or religious prisoners, you know, people of other faiths. It's quite varied, which really speaks to the universal call uh, and struggle. Um, But this call to trust, to trust God. And um, it reminds me too, like, that no matter if we've had a deep relationship with Jesus for 50 years or if we're just starting to get to know Him, every day we wake up with with the need to trust Him. you know, it's like the man every day, it's Mm -hmm. given the grace to trust God. And um, whatever the situation is, we're never kind of good to go. Um, right. so this invitation that when we pray the litany of trust it kind of highlights places that we feel a little friction, like, oh I need to grow in this area, you know, and we know what to pray on and ask God's grace in and then also start to recognize in my day-to-day life where I can really step into those graces, you know, so it brings a great awareness right. and the way that the words are phrased, it affirms our dignity. It doesn't kind of judge us for being scared. <laughs> right. Right. You know, and it says, Hey, I'm human and this is the way you've made me, but I don't, I don't want just to live on this even level. I want to receive this, right.
0: you know. Right. You were telling me something interesting about your work with the Sisters of Life. Uh, you all have uh, crisis, pregnancy, homes. Mm-hmm. and sure. And one of the things, so you have like a, a mother and a child living there and trying to help them get back on their feet mm-hmm. and and ultimately live on their own. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that you try to awaken them a sense of their ability to be mothers. Yeah. Tell us
1: about that. Yeah, sure. Well, God is so playful (laughs) and um, wonderful in many ways. But uh, yeah, some of the women that come to us um, in these crisis pregnancies find themselves in their search for love. They find themselves really devastated, you know, um, in a situation of a relationship that's really less than what God desires for them. Mm -hmm. And that's when they find out they're pregnant. They're like, oh, my goodness, really right now, you know? And they feel like uh, oftentimes that God is miles away, but it's as if He's right close to home at the very heart of their search for love, saying, you know, hi, like, you know, I'm here, and I, I see your desires for love, and I see your capacity for love, and I'm reaching out to you with this little life that I love you, and I believe in your ability to love. And even if they don't see that in the moment, that is a strong word of God's presence with them and... Uh, an entrustment of something extremely precious right this new little life made in his image and so if that's what god is speaking then as sisters and you know as fellow you know sisters and brothers in the way we can recognize my goodness then i believe in that capacity it's there Mm -hmm. it is there and to help her see the gift and the beautiful unique love of her heart has been a huge um, pathway for her to embrace and her new role as a mother and give her the strength to love her child so I like to think about it as like a song that God the father is kind of this master composer <laughs> the unique genius that he is and writes this song sings this song A song comes from a place of the heart sings a song and that's each person is this unique little song that he loves to sing and he wants to be heard and yet we lose sight of of the beautiful gift of the song that our life is you know and And yet, encountering another, as we encounter these women, just to receive them in their moment of crisis, to get to know them, not to approach them as a problem to be solved, but rather a gift to be received. We just kind of receive them and their personality and what their desires are. And we kind of try to mirror back and sing back the song that we we hear, this beautiful song of her heart. And it awakens in her, like you were saying, the strength. To say, oh my goodness, I am known, I'm loved, yeah. I'm good, and therefore I can rise to the challenge of right. of giving my love in a radical way, in a sacrificial way, and it's worth it. Right. And with that, yes, comes a beautiful grace to to continue living that. Right,
0: and I, I think in the abortion debates, sometimes you hear from the like the pro-choice side, um, you know that it's unfair that you know the people making decisions that they would have to have this child and and i, I feel like you know we have trouble articulating the great gift the entrustment mm-hmm. the responsibility yeah. that women have mm-hmm. they're trusted with this gift yeah and um it's hard to i don't know sometimes i think it's kind of hard to make that case in a secular <laughs> kind of very yeah. contentious thing but it it's like you know it's. It's like a different level of values. It's like in the civil sphere, we're talking about a lower level, maybe. But if you say, well, the gift of life, that this is entrusted to you and mm-hmm. you have this opportunity mm-hmm. to do something so incredible, mm-hmm. being a mother or something. And, it, and, you know, you don't want to minimize their struggle, suffering, circumstances. Sure, therein, sure. But, um, yeah, I just find that hard to articulate sometimes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no,
1: it is hard because, and I would say this is, is um, very true because Hearing someone's story, which we have the privilege of hearing the, the whole of their story, there is so much fear because there has been abandonment and betrayal mm-hmm. and a real loss of those around who should be there at a time like that. So it's extremely understandable why would somebody would scramble at that moment right. and hide. And a lot of decisions uh, that all of us make that we regret are, are motivated by fear, you right. know. But that's what, the beautiful gift that we have in each other—that God desires us to reach out in places of fear. And this is what's so heroic about these women—that they did reach out in some way um, for help. And God has been abundant in showing them. My gosh, like this is a huge privilege and gift that.
0: Yeah, you know, and they—they they feel the burden in a particular mm-hmm. way, yeah, and it's, it's like this called a walk on water, mm-hmm. right? And. Mm-hmm. and But yeah, like the community should rise up. Certainly the man involved should rise
1: up. Yeah. Well, we really realize that relationships are more important than answers or even resources. You know, that the human heart needs others that are in ongoing form, an ongoing relationship. And that is a difficult thing um, to commit to. But it is something that, yeah, it's it's, it's a testimony to the beauty of the human heart. You know, that we can't just feed each other. Kind of physical needs but but there is that flourishing when a relationship is formed and supported
0: and it's interesting you were sharing with me your, your superior mother agnes studied psychology got a doctorate mm-hmm. taught at columbia <laughs> and did her research in attachment like mother-child yeah. bonding yeah. attachment and what fosters that
1: yeah so she had studied psychology and specifically was looking at what makes a mother a good mother and how how can mothers Rise to challenges, especially with children with special needs and who need more attention, and and she had looked at that and studied that, thinking, you know, maybe it's, you know, um, you know, could it be financial stability helps that? Could it be a man who's really involved in the home that she is, you know, married to or whatever? And yet, the striking thing through her study was um, confirmed and through other researchers as well that helps a woman really embrace this and live it to the fullest was knowing that she was loved by her husband and kind of affirmed in her maternity and being delighted in in that simple way really unleashed a strength to to do very difficult things very demanding things and sacrifices and yet it's so simple it's extremely simple so there's been a real window that our community has um, been blessed by because it is hard but yet we're not counselors, you know. We're, we we don't have all these, you know, professional gifts. Mm-hmm. But that that God has asked us as sisters to love people. That's what we are given. We're gonna bring them to the Lord and love them. Mm-hmm. And so to really be um, that support, that believes in their goodness, believes in their capacity, is what they need mm-hmm. to mother their child. And it is it's been effective, very effective, you know. And it's. What we all know as sisters, too, is like, I need to receive the love of Jesus from me, from me, him right. so that I can then say yes to him in big ways. Um, that is very central to our own understanding of our relationship with Jesus mm-hmm. as well.
0: And would you mind telling us this, the story of Mother Agnes and her mm-hmm. mother? I think it's such a great mm-hmm, story. Mm-hmm. The- sure,
1: yeah. It is a great story. Um, very inspiring. So Mother Agnes, um, her mother and father met when they were teenagers and um, fallen in love, beautiful relationship, but then her mother found out that she was uh, actually was diagnosed with tuberculosis. And this was in the time when it was incurable, so it was almost as if she was getting um, a death sentence, and it was very shattering. Because of her really selfless love for this man she was dating, she decided not to tell him thinking that, oh, if she told him, maybe he'd stick around with me and it would be kind of a drab life, you know? But maybe he should get married and feel free to to go elsewhere, you know? So she broke up with him, didn't tell him.
0: She's like 20. Yeah,
1: she's young, yeah, Yeah. 19, you know? And so years go by, and the suffering is intense, it's real. And her faith really deepened through it. She was praying more, and... Mm. About 10 years go by, and Solanus Casey, who had moved back to New York and a lot of miracles had been worked through him, he was a Capuchin priest, very humble, um, was known in the area for, yeah, his intercessory capacity and people were really being healed, so she went to visit him with that hope. And she told a little bit about her story to Solanas Casey, and Solanus Casey listened, and he said something very simple. He said, is God asking too much? It's like, is this too much for you, yeah. you know? And she thought for a minute and reflected that, actually, I've received so much through my faith, through the suffering, and I've really been drawn closer to Jesus. And, yeah, what I've ex- experienced with Jesus has not been that he's an awful, rude person. Like, there is a closeness that I feel with him. And so thinking about that, she responded, no, no, this isn't, God isn't asking too much. And she didn't engage it further. So as Casey, he blessed her, prayed with her. And within a day, she was was cured. Hmm. She was cured. And it was a very um, beautiful experience of faith to say, I entrusted my future to God in that moment when I said it wasn't, like this wasn't too much. She could have easily said, no, it is too much. I'm sacrificing the life that I've always dreamed of. I'm sacrificing a happiness that I thought I would have a chance at. but that act of faith, that if God was asking this, that it wasn't too much, God blessed that richly. And um, in a beautiful way, it worked out that she then was able to contact this young man again to see what he was up to. He was not married, and he, he confessed to her that he had not been able to love another woman <laughs> um, and had, had always dreamed of still, still being able to marry her. And so that they were married, and, and they actually had eight kids after that. So it was a beautiful beautiful witness of faith and trust.
0: Amen. Mm -hmm. Well, sisters, thank you so much for talking with us.
1: Absolutely, it's been a gift, Father, thank you.